You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. The book of Deuteronomy, if you're not sure where that is, open your Bible at the front. You'll come to the book of Genesis, and then Exodus, and then Leviticus, and then Numbers, and then Deuteronomy. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, as we continue in our series on the legacy. Um, As you've seen in the bumper, through repetition, through faithfulness, through consistency in the right things, we end up leaving a legacy. Not just a legacy after we die, but a legacy in our lives, a legacy in our workplace, a legacy in our family, a legacy in our home, a legacy in our community. Uh, When you move, when you change jobs, when you go to heaven and people talk about you, what will they be talking about? And uh, because what they're talking about is is your legacy. We started out in the first message talking about a legacy in the fear of God from Ecclesiastes 12, 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. We're gonna come back to that as the foundation uh, again today a little bit, but uh, last week we took a look at what are you leaving behind in your legacy of prayer? And uh, we talked about Daniel, who when he was approximately 80 years old was uh, told, along with everyone else, you can't pray. You can't pray. Uh, that was so much a part of his life, he had to pray. And so he just continued to do what he always did and uh, found himself in the lion's den. And the story of the lion's den, which we all know about, we often don't realize was because he was a man of prayer. And uh, it was the pattern of his life. It stayed the pattern of his life. And we're still talking about it because it became his legacy. became his legacy. Uh, this week, we want to take a look at a legacy with a focus on the Word of God. Now, what is the legacy that you're leaving behind as it relates to this book, uh, to what God has revealed to us, His Word? Um, ultimately, the Word is Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And so, as we are developing, creating our legacy as it relates to the Word, ultimately to Jesus Christ, What will the story that people will tell when you move or change jobs or when you go to heaven, what will be the legacy that you leave behind? So you got your Bibles open, I trust. Now let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'm going to start at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word that we hold in our hands, your very word. And Lord, thank you for what you revealed to Moses and what he put down for us to see as an example, as a model for us to learn. And Lord, I pray that as we hear your words today, you would give us very careful ears to listen to what you're saying. God, would you give us minds that we could understand it? And then, Lord, 
Would you work in us to do the work that's needed to prune us, to correct us, to help us, to encourage us, to live with passion the Word of God, the life of Jesus Christ, that others might see the hope and understand who you are and all you've done for us. Do your work in this place in a way the only way we can explain it is, God, you did it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, getting the foundation right is critical. Uh, When you build a house, it's critical that you get the foundation right. If you don't get it right, the house will crumble. Um, in In the Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about building your house on the rock or building your house on the sand. And if you don't build it right, if you don't go down and get the foundation right, when when the storm comes, the house will be destroyed. And so as um, Moses is writing in Deuteronomy, he goes back to getting the foundation right first. And then he's going to talk about the Word and what that looks like in our life. Look, look at verse 4. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The Lord is one. It's a theme that goes all the way through the book of Deuteronomy. And, and Deuteronomy 4, 39, Know therefore today and, and lay it to your heart that the Lord your God is in heaven, above and on the earth beneath there is no other. We live in a world that is so polytheistic. You find God wherever you want to find God. In chapter two, or chapter six, I'm sorry, in chapter six and verses one and two, he says again, now this is the commandment, statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going in to possess it that you may fear the Lord. That was our first message in this series, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons. That's legacy by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be, that you're long, that your days may be long. And getting the foundation right, he is the one and only, the one and only, the one and only God. And so in a world that's filled with, I am God, you are God, we are God, other gods, and all the rest, the the Bible stands alone and stands out and saying, no, 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 one. The Lord your God is one. And when you get that wrong, then everything else falls apart because what you build your life on falls apart. And all of a sudden, what man wants trumps what, what God has designed And we end up in a world that says, you can have whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. You can be whatever you choose to be. Because you're God. You're on the throne. You are the mighty one. And yet the Bible says so clearly, the Lord is, he is one. God, he is Jehovah, the sovereign the self-existent being, eternal and immutable. He is but one in nature and essence, demonstrating the perfection of his nature, his eternity, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his infinity, his goodness, his self-sufficiency and protection. 
For there can be but one eternal, one omnipotent, one omnipresent, one infinite, one that is an original and of himself good, all sufficient and perfect, being the creator of all things. He is the lawgiver, the governor, the ruler, the king, and he must be feared. He is God. He is one. Is that true in your life? Is that true in my life? I know theologically we say it's true, but is it true in the way we live? Is it true that he is truly on the throne in your life? You think about the things you went after this week, the things you sought to accumulate. You think about the relationships you had. You think about the things you did this week, and would it be true of you that God Almighty is one, and you worship Him, and you worship Him. What is your idol? What comes before, before God in, in your life? He is the only one. It's a statement of exclusivity. He's not a part of our lives. He's to be on the throne of our lives. And that's the foundational truth that now Moses goes and he builds four things, four steps to ensuring that the word is in your legacy. Four steps to ensuring the word is in your legacy. Comes right out of the the next verses. You will see four times he says, you shall, you shall, four times. This is not an optional event for the follower of God, for the follower of Jesus Christ. I can remember going to uh, Center Island as a kid and, and you're walking along the path and there's a sign that says, please walk on the grass. Now, they want you to walk on the grass. They want you to walk. I hate signs that say, please don't walk on the grass. I hate that. Because it's kind of like they're giving you an option. They would prefer that you don't walk on the grass. Uh, but if you do, we're just going to be mildly upset. So we just say, please. It's not like that, this text. This this text is not leaving room for a lot of wiggle. This is like, thus saith the Lord, you shall. And whenever you see the Bible saying you shall, you need to sit up and take a good look at what are the things that he says. And so here's the first one. You shall love the Lord. You shall love the Lord. Look at verses five and six. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. You shall. He t- you shall love the Lord your God. And so the, the reaction comes out of the relationship. You shall love the Lord your God. We talked about that when we talked about Daniel and in his prayers. And Daniel prayed to his God. And they knew it. He knew it. He had a relationship with God that would not be broken by some decree that said you, you can't pray. He, he loved God too much. You have to have the relationship. Uh, The cool thing about this relationship is that it's not initiated by us. The relationship is initiated by God. In Deuteronomy 7, 6 and 7 it says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. 
Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the peoples. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his Son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. In 1 John 4.10 and 19 it says, And this is love, not that we love God, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us us. No man seeks after God. We hate God. We don't want what God wants. We want what we want. That's the world we live in. And so for the person who says, well, I was on a journey in seeking after God and I found him, well, from the human side, that may be what it looked like, but no one finds God that the work doesn't begin in God to open the eyes to reveal who he is, to lift the veil. And that was true of these people. Uh, That is true of us. And when we understand who God is and what he has done for us, our response to him is to love, love the Lord. Because of my relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to love God more than anything else. That relationship that I understood when I was separated from God in my sin without hope and that the Lord Jesus Christ came, as 1 John says, to be the propitiation, the satisfaction of the wrath of God, that Jesus Christ came to be the payment for my sin. And you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and this gift is given to you. It's free. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. And God gives it. And by simple faith in the working of Jesus Christ, you are saved. That's awesome. That's amazing. That God would do that for undeserving people. I hardly want to blow the snow out of my neighbor's driveway in the middle of the winter. Because what did they ever do for me? And yet God, when we hated him, he loved us. Last night at the end of the service, uh, a man came forward and Jason was standing right here and was introduced to the man. And the man came to the place of understanding that he didn't know the Savior. And uh, right there, he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior last night. That work that happened in our hearts changes us. It needs to give us a passion. It needs to give us a heart for what this verse then tells us we are to do. Love the Lord. Love the Lord more than anything else. And love the Lord more than everything else combined. Job learned that lesson. All of it's taken away. And he struggled and he wrestled, but he ended up with his eyes focused on God. So would it be said of you that you love God more than anything else? More than your job? Would you be willing to walk away from the work that you have because of 
your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're not going to compromise what God has called you to do. Would you be willing to walk away from a friendship or a relationship? Love the Lord your God more than anything else, more than everything else. And so you sit there and you go, Pastor, you got that figured out? Mm, No. But I'm figuring it out, and I'm learning it, and I'm growing in it. I know I struggle with it because I know how many times I put something else or someone else on the throne and I've got to get back and get right with the Lord and put him back on the throne. But it's what we're called to. Love the Lord your God. That word, the heart, is an interesting word because in Hebrew, they didn't have another word that would entail the mind as well. And so it's in our world, when we think of the heart, we think of it being mostly about emotion. Uh, For them, they understood it was far more than emotion. It was all of your being. It included your intellect. So when he said, love the Lord with all your heart, love the Lord your God with all of your soul, and love your Lord with all of your might, they understood it was an all-encompassing thing. It wasn't just you check your brain at the door and have good feelings about Jesus. It was every part of you. When Jesus takes this verse and, and uses it in Mark chapter 12, 28 and 30, it says there, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, seeing that he answered them well. He asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if you're wondering whether this teaching from Deuteronomy 6 is for us today, here's the foundation, that it absolutely is. The Lord your God is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all of your strength. And as we're seeing the words in translation and the fulfillment of what they mean, it's added because when we come to English, if we were just to put the word heart in, we'd think it's some kind of an emotive thing. And it's so much more than that. We're to be people of God who love him completely. And these words that I command you, verse six, verse six says today, shall be on your heart, these words, these words that I command you today, the very words that are inspired by God, as Moses is speaking under inspiration, as he's writing down the things, the the things that we have been given, they shall be on your heart. They shall be before you all of the time. They need to be what motivates you and what encourages you and what helps you when it's dark and when it's hard. Where do you go? You instinctively go back to the Word because God is one. You shall love Him. You shall love Him with all of your heart. Well, then Moses gets really, really practical for us. And the next thing he says is in verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and, and when you rise up. In Proverbs 22 and verse 6, it says, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
That's not a promise, it's a proverb. It's not saying your kids are gonna turn out perfectly, but you do the right things. You honor the Lord and do the right things and you watch what he does. This afternoon at 2.30, we're gonna have a wedding here. Uh, Kyle and Sarah are gonna get married. And uh, I was reading her testimony again this week and Proverbs 22.6 just came to my mind as I, as I read her testimony. In her testimony, she says, uh, if you were to ask my parents one word that described me as a child, what would it be? And, and she said, they would say, rebellious, rebellious. Her whole life, they just, from the very beginning, she was just one of those kids. Her sister brought her here to this church when, uh, just in the last couple of years. And she came under conviction of God and she trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as her savior. She'd grown up in a Christian home. She had all of the advantage she had had, and yet she was rebellious. She was rebellious. She was rebellious, and her parents never gave up, and, and she trusted Jesus Christ, train up a child in the way they should go. And when they're old, when they're older, as they're growing up, they will remember the things. And if you're a parent here and your kids are struggling or not walking with the Lord, don't you give up. Don't you pack it in. You continue to be faithful. If you've messed up and you need to say some things to them, then you say those things to them. But you be faithful and you allow God to work. The reality is if we don't teach our children to follow Christ, the world will teach them not to. If we don't teach our kids to follow Christ, the world that they live in will teach them not to. So what does the verse say? It says, you shall teach them, the word, you shall teach them diligently to your children. Done with diligence, it's not some passive thing. It's a, I kinda hope they figure out the word of God as they grow up, but we're gonna teach them diligently. We're gonna have some things in our home to make sure that they're learning the word of God. How many families in our world have a, have a family Bible that sits on a shelf or sits on a coffee table and, and it's never open? That Bible's teaching those kids something. It's teaching them that God doesn't matter. It's teaching them that he's not important. It says teach them diligently to your children. And we didn't do it perfectly, but we sought to do it. Our kids, we watch them. They're doing it way better with their kids when they're little than we ever did. Our, our kids are such a work of grace of God, for sure. We were out at Carl and Lindsay's place the other day, and uh, before we go to bed, what do you do with the kids? Well, you sit down and you open the Word and you read. And you pray with them, because that's what mom and dad do. They do it every day. That's what Beth and Josh do with their kids. They do it every day. They take the time to do it. And um, Beth and Josh, they just open the word. They take a text and go through it and, and talk about what that text means. And they pray with their kids. They're diligently making some decisions on how they're going to train their kids. The raising of your children is your responsibility. It's your responsibility. I believe we have amazing ministries in our church. I believe that Teresa and her team are doing a great job with the kids in Harvest Kids. I believe that Jason's doing a great job with the kids in junior high and senior high ministry. But let me tell you something. It's not their job to instill the truth of God's word as the primary source into the lives of our children. It's the parents' job. 
It's our job. It's my job as a grandpa. The church comes alongside through the ministries we have. I am so thankful for everyone who serves in Harvest Kids and Awana and in our youth ministries as a, as a front line of supporting what's happening at home. But if you come to church and you think, well, no, no, this is where our kids get instructed and this is really one hour, one hour a week. The word's instructing, the world is instructing them hour upon hour upon hour upon hour. Teach them diligently to your kids with dedication. It's not passive. With instruction, with preparation and teaching, with discipline, learning to be faithful in it and doing it, doing it in a loving way, and being an example. Being an example to them through the fact that we open the Word, through the fact that we talk about the Word, through the fact that our kids see us with the Word of God open in our home. They see us praying. And there's a whole bunch of other things we want to come to. And, but in Ephesians 6, and verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dad, you're responsible. And you're going to give an account and you and your wife need to be in this together, but we need to be doing this with discipline. My hat goes off to single moms who carry this burden, responsibility, but we have to. We have to teach our kids, and we need to do it diligently. We need to do it with intentionality. Now look what it says in the text. It says that you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. There are two pairs of opposites that appear in that verse. When you sit and when you walk, when you lie down and when you rise. It suggests that any time and every time is the place for the activity of training our kids whether you're sitting in your house watching television or having a meal, or whether you're up and you're walking and you're doing something, whether you're laying down uh, by the side of the lake um, in the summertime, or whether you rise up, whether it's the beginning of the day or it's the ending of the day, with intentionality, we need to teach our kids. We need to teach them. When you lie down and when you rise up, I, when I first read it, I kind of thought, what's well, talking about when you go to bed and when you get out of bed? I mean, that's, I'm sure that's true, but that's not the way the coupling really works here. He's just saying in every way. But I was thinking about in our home and how we did at that and how we still do at that. And let me tell you, we're way better. We're way better at the diligent part, at the lying down of the day, than we are at the rising up of the day. The, not that we got it all figured out, but at the end of the day, we spend time in the Word and we spend time in prayer. That We do that. We finish the day diligently focused on the Word of God. The morning, I'm still working on that, I got to tell you. I'm a morning guy. I get up and I'm whistling something before I get to the washroom in the morning and I want to get dressed and I want to get out the door and I want to get on to the next thing. And I'm, just, I'm just go, 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 go. And, and I struggle with stopping in the morning. But diligently, 
with discipline, teaching, being an example, being a model. And when you walk by the way, do you look for opportunities to teach the word? When you walk by the way, when you go out for a walk, you're just being observant of what's around you. When you go over to the park near your house and you go in and the trilliums are out in bloom, do you talk to the kids about God's creation and what he's made? When you're in your backyard working and trying to grow a couple of tomatoes and do you talk about how all these things come from God? When you go out in the country and you look up and you see the stars and you see the sky, do you just kind of sit there and go, whoa, this is awesome? Or do you take it to where it really needs to go? This is awesome because God has made it. He has created it for us. And be diligent. When things aren't easy, when you're driving down McCowan Road and the traffic is not moving and it seems like it's never going to move again and you feel your blood starting to boil, do you stop and talk to your spouse or your kids about how God's faithful with you when you mess up and you never seem to be moving forward or you're stuck in the mud. Or Sue and I were at the Jays game on, what night was that we were there? Tuesday? It's 12 to 2 and not for the Jays. I thought I was at a Leaf game for a minute. <laughs> and you're just kind of... And then it's like, what's really important in life? What's really important in life? So do we see those things? Do we look at those things and see the teaching opportunities that can be used, that God could take and use not only in our lives, but in the lives of our kids? And as a result, leaving a legacy. Leaving a legacy. Kids are great imitators. They watch us. They see us. And they're looking to see the legacy of instruction that we will lead. That's one thing. The the next thing he says in verse eight, he says, bind the word. Look at verse eight, he says, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets before your eyes. In 2013, Sue and I were um, going to Israel with the locks and uh, we're on uh, an LL flight from Toronto and twice during the night, I remember because I probably slept through something, but twice during the night, I remember the devout Jews. I remember seeing them, they get up and, and they start to put this stuff on. And the guy's strapping a thing on his forehead and wrapping his arms around and, and they're on the plane and they're facing towards Jerusalem and, and they're praying. I remember seeing this guy because uh, Sonia was sitting right in front of me and had his long tassel time and every time he went down his head it hit her in the head and she was just like this. And, and Moses said, take the word and bind it. Bind it. Bind them as a sign on your hands and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. I've, I've got a picture of this that you can see of, of what that looks like uh, for, a, for um, a devout follower in Israel today. Uh, what would that look like? That, uh, that young man is at the wailing wall. It's interesting, all those little pieces of paper that stuck in there are prayer requests that they take. We have, we have a way better system here, right? We, we have a, and, and then the elders will actually pray for you. They just think that all those are prayer requests. That's not the point of the picture. The point of the picture is look at his hand and look at his head. And, and on the, his arm and on his head, he's got these little boxes. And in those little boxes are the word of God. They're called phylacteries. They're small boxes. 
And in the word it says, and you shall bind them, what? The word as a sign on your hands, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. And so they would take, usually, this first part of the text about your, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And they write that down and they put it in the little box and, and they would stick it on their head. This was still going on when uh, Jesus was on earth. In Matthew 23, verse 5, the Pharisees, as only they could, they took a good thing and made it into a crazy thing. And in Matthew 23, 5, it says, they do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And so, so that everybody would see them, they would take the box on their head and make it just a little bit bigger than everybody else's. See, the, the, the scripture here is figurative and picturesque in all that he's saying. When you sit down and when you get up and when you lie down and when you rise, take the word of God and bind it on your hands and bind it bef before your eyes. Would it be wrong for us to do that? Uh, probably not. I just don't think that's really what he's saying. I don't think that's what he's really going for. Here's what I think he's going for. Take the word of God and put it on your hands. It represents everything that you do. It represents your work. You work with your hands. And the word of God should be demonstrated in the work of your hands. And so the work of your hands should demonstrate the Lord your God is one. Love him with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. And so everything you do with your hands should demonstrate the working in the word of God. That's the legacy we want to leave that the things that we do. Well, what about the frontlets on your, your forehead? You got this between your eyes. Well, I think that speaks about the things that we look at, the things that we see and the places that we go where your eye takes you and off you go into that thing. We want to leave a legacy that our focus is on who God is and what he has done. The places we go need to honor him and bring glory to him. And so he says, you shall. You shall bind them on your hands because it'll change what you do. You shall bind them between your eyes because it'll change what you look at and the direction that your life will go. And that's the legacy we want to leave behind. You bind the word. You bind the word. And then one more, he says, in verse 9, he says, you shall write the word. You shall write the word. Look at verse 9. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, the picture is that of a masuza. And I got another picture for you to see. And uh, so if you were to go by a, a devout Jew's home, they would have this thing on their doorpost. And inside it, there would be some scriptures, probably the scriptures from this text. Write them on your, on your doorposts. And so whenever you would go into your house, you would, you would touch it. You just walk in there as you're going in the door, you just touch it. Why? It's a reminder. It was a reminder. And uh, sometimes they would put them in their house. They would put them on little babies born. They would put it on the door of the child and in doorposts within the house. And every time you'd go through, you would just touch it and you would just touch it and you would just, why? It's a reminder. It's a reminder. 
in the text it says to put them on your doorposts and on your gates. Well, I think if the first picture of what is to the hands is to what you do, and, and then this picture is to what you see, then to me, the mezuzah, the mezuzah is a picture of, of what you have. It's what you have. It's your possessions. And so make sure that when you remember these things, when you remember the Lord, you remember who owns the things, whose the things are. And when you remember them, it'll impact what you have. It'll impact on what you're going after. It'll impact what you do with what you're going after. It will always remind you of what's most important. And your kids or your friend or your neighbor won't see your possessions are more important than your God. You shall. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You shall teach the word of God diligently to your kids. You shall bind them on your hands and on your forehead and you shall write them on your doorposts and on your gates. Because our relationship with God is primary. Because his word is the tool that takes us to truth to be able to walk in his ways. So what kind of a legacy are you leaving in this? What kind of a legacy am I leaving in this? When my kids look at their dad, do they see him as a man who fears God? Is that the things they think of? Do they, do they think of him as a, a man who prays, prays for them, prays for their soul, prays for the souls of their kids, my grandchildren? Do they see as a person who puts the word of God first and that's the priority in my life? Do my grandchildren see that? Do they see that grandpa's a man who fears God? He prays to God, he prays for them. The word of God is the first importance to him. What does my church think when they see me? Does their pastor fear God? In the midst of a world that is turning so fast against the Lord. Do they see us as people? Do they see me as a person who fears God? Do you see me as a person who cares enough to pray and wants to model that in our church? Do you see me as a, a man who loves God's word more than anything else? See, I'm leaving a legacy too. And you can't worship me. You can't put the focus on me in that way. That wouldn't be right. We worship God. But I'm desiring to leave a legacy. And what's the legacy that you're desiring to leave? With your friends, with your neighbors, with your kids, with your family, with your parents, with whoever. Well, so what? Why is a legacy of the word so important? 
because the Word of God changes everything. The Word of God leads us, it's the picture of, it takes us to Jesus Christ. Everything in this book is pointing towards the Savior. Either before he came, while he was here, or after he left, the working is looking back at who is Jesus Christ. He has to be our everything. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Isaiah 40 says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God will stand forever. Psalm 119 says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 78, three and four says, things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us, we will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders of what he has done. The legacy of the word of God is effectively the legacy of Jesus. We dare not fail in leaving this legacy for the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Stir in us, God. Work in us, God. Convict us today, God, where we are failing in this. Failure is not final. It's the beginning of a new opportunity. It's a time to get right with you and be right with you and make some changes. And Lord, just as I don't do it perfectly in my life, we won't, not this side of heaven. But God, we can grow in this. We can develop in this. And would the legacy that we leave be a legacy that we were people who feared you, God, more than anything else. And we cried out to you and we trusted and we lifted up your word. Do your work, God, for your glory. In us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.